the faith. And, you know, my mom, I, I do have a desire to go uh, skydiving. My mom, all my mom says is make sure that you have life insurance. <laughs> now, when you skydive, you, you jump from a plane to the land. Felix Baumgartner jumped from outer space to the earth. And, I, you know, we're going to talk, talk about faith today and how much faith did he have, he had to have, to put inside the, the mission, the, you know, the mission command people and all these, uh, you know, one wrong move and <laughs> he gone. <laughs> Hope you guys had a great Christmas. I apologize for my, my nose. I may sound a little bit different. Uh, the warm weather yesterday caused all of my seasonal allergies to completely inhabit my body in about 24 hours. So yeah. anyway, um, you guys have a good Christmas? Yeah, good, good. My family and I did. I got to spend in Missouri with, uh, with Mary and her family. But I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you some stuff about, about Christmas. Who has already put up your tree? All your decorations are down. Now, pe- now people that love Christmas, I'm not saying bah humbug, okay? I'm just, we, we left my mother-in-law and we took her tree down and everything down and uh, she didn't have to do it anymore. Uh, this is the last, last Sunday of the year, okay? A couple days we're going to celebrate New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve. But I want to take some time, just, just a second, and I can't possibly do it within the time span of, of what we had this morning, but to tell you how, I, how much I appreciate connection as a church, connection as a group of people, uh, and I, I don't like calling it church because we have church outside these walls. We take our church with us where we go. But why? why? Why do you constantly hear Mike and I reiterate the fact that we think connection is a special place? We think Connections people are a special group of people. Why, why must you hear that all the time? Well, from my perspective, this is how it is. Three words. I need you. And I hope you, you, you personal self, need everybody here. Because we need you. We need your support. We need your love. We need your friendship. I've often, I've often said of our Connect group that we live life together the connect group that I go to, that we physically and absolutely completely, we just live life together. Like we, we experience ups, we experience downs. But coming off of the Christmas season, it's a, it's a bad time. To, there's a lot of loneliness. You know, in my family, we remembered some people that weren't there. They'd already gone on to, to be with God. They're in heaven. And my grandparents weren't there. And it's tough. But, How do you go through something without somebody? How do, you, how, do you, how do you face some really tough struggles in your life and you don't have anywhere to turn? Now, I've been there. Some of you are nodding your head. You, are, you understand where I'm coming from. We have to support one another. In the New Testament, when Jesus taught something very important, he told a what? A story, a parable, it's a story. Why? I teach school, I can tell you, there's some other teachers in here, that when you tell a story that you can relate something that you're trying to teach somebody to something that they're interested in, they'll learn it faster. It's scientifically proven. So Jesus t- told stories about things that happened, things that were real, things that were relative, relevant then. Talking about somebody that needs somebody. 
There was a pastor one time. It's a story. I don't know that it's true, but it's a good story. There was a pastor, and he noticed the guy had not been in church. Uh, you know, he, before that, he was a faithful guy. He was there every Sunday. He, he helped out in the church. He worked in the church. He was part of their small group or their Sunday school, and he was involved. He was very, very enveloped in the church. And for whatever reason, the gentleman stopped coming to church. When we had the youth over at our house, I would applaud them because they could probably think of about 10,000 things that they could do besides come to a connect group. And we can, te- we can think about 10,000 times things to do, I'm sorry, then go to connect group. But watch what happens. This, this pastor goes over and he knocks on this door of this, of this gentleman and he comes to the door. He answers the door. Pastor says, can I come in? Yeah. Kind of bow-faced, you know. The guy knew that he hadn't been to church in a while and he's like, great. I'm going to get scolded for not going. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not been there. Pastor just asked if he could come in. And the man walked to his living room and the pastor followed him and they sat down in two chairs and they're looking both at a fireplace in the middle. Not a word was spoken. Not one. Not one. And after some minutes of silence, the, the pastor stands up and he walks up to the woods, the wood fire, the fireplace. And he takes a little fire poker and he, and he pushes the the piece of wood that's already been burnt and breaks off a little coal that's blaze orange. In the middle of the fire, it's blaze orange. And he uses that fire poker and he scrapes it away. He scrapes it away. He scrapes it away from the fire and he puts it on the edge. And after a couple minutes, the orange started to die down to a low orange. And before long, it turned completely black again. And the preacher stood up and he left. And some of you, to make, to make that make sense, when we're involved and in the middle of something, we have the support from the other things around us to keep us where we need to be. But if we take ourselves away, we're not glowing orange anymore. That's why we need the support. Sometimes we need a reminder, like that pastor gave that guy, that there's hope. It's like, hey, not a word was spoken, but he told a story. He walks up. I wonder this morning if, we, if some of us need to move our coal just a little bit back to the fire. The man could have been grief-stricken, heartbroken, depressed, addicted, whatever. We all, connection is a group of people that are broken. There's nobody perfect here. If you're looking for a perfect church, it's not here. We need to be plugged in. Now, before you say, Matt, well, he just, he just told me that he needs to manipulate me. I need to go to connect group. I need to, I need to be here and clean. I need to do everything, everything, everything. I'm not saying everything. But could you do something? See, Jesus talks about this in Romans, and he talks about this, this, this faith about, even, even if we mess up, he talks about this faith that we come back, that we can rejoin. And when we rejoin, there's a joy. Paul writes this passage in Romans chapter 5. We're going to be there in a minute, and I'll, I'll tell you where to turn. But Paul writes this, this passage of Scripture, and he writes some things that are not easy. It's easy to forgive your ex-mate. I'm not getting any smiles now. 
It's easier to forgive yourself for eating too much at Christmas. It's easy. It's not. These are not easy things. Before we get into it, I want to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to just pray. And uh, so if you would, just bow your heads with me. God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you that uh, Paul gives us these words in, in Romans. God, that we can talk about the fellowship and the hope and the joy that you have. God, that we can have faith that you're there. Sometimes that's all we need to hear, that you're there. In your name I pray. Amen. Felix Baumgartner was the, in my mom's terminology, the crazy guy that jumped out of his little thing, space module, and he jumped towards the earth. Did you hear on the video when they said he's reached max speed? Did you hear how much they said? It was like 725 because he's getting pulled so drastically fast through. Yeah, I don't think so. Anybody, anybody here do that? I mean, really? Lee, that doesn't surprise me. Lee. <laughs> anyway, my name is Matt Griswold. Uh, I'm, I'm the worship leader here at Connection, and uh, I want to thank you for being here this morning. Our pastor, our, our lead pastor is named Mike Davis, and uh, I'm just, I'm filling in for him this morning, and uh, we're going to be in the fifth chapter of Romans today. If you have a Bible like mine, it's on page 915. If you have a, a, a Bible from the hallway, it's on page 128. If you have a Bible, on the inside part of your, on, inside your Bible is a table of contents. I have a paper clip up on mine. If I don't know where something is, I look at it, they're in, they're in order, you look up where it is and find the page number. But if you go to the New Testament, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I'll give you a second to turn there, but as we're, as we're turning there, um, we're going to go to the first verse in chapter 5. We're reading out of the New Living Translation, easy to understand, okay? Verse 1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by, there's the word, it's going to be all over the place today, faith. Paul's talking to the followers of Jesus here, okay? In the New International Version, it uses the term that some of us are familiar with, justified, to be made right. Okay, Paul's not actually using that word. He's using a Greek word called the kaio, and it means to be made innocent. Now, that's a big deal to these people because Paul is speaking to people that understand that Jesus is the new, he, Jesus was a the sacrifice. There's no longer the animals, the animal, the animal death. Uh, but before Jesus came to earth, before he died on the cross, before he raised from the sins, people, if I was a leader of my family, I would, I would go and I would offer a sacrifice of blood by sacrificing an animal. And that would be making us right. Paul's not mentioned the law of Moses, that that's the sacrificing of the animals. He doesn't mention that here. Um, people that he was talking to could believe in Jesus because Jesus has come. He's died, he's been, he's been persecuted, he's been hung on a cross, he's risen from the dead, and he's ascended back to heaven. And that's what Paul's preaching. It's called the good news. When Jesus came, it changed a lot of stuff. Can you imagine growing up? Now, I used to get stories from my grandpa. And the number one thing that he would, he would say is, um, when I grew up, there was no indoor plumbing. And now I'm getting some laughs, okay? Uh, the, the bathroom was outside, regardless if it was this time of year or summer, outside. And he would talk about these, these stories of how it used to be. See, these people are the same way. Well, the way it used to be, Paul, is the way we, we, had, we killed these animals. And Paul was saying to them, listen, there's a new way that God provided you to have a relationship with him. 
they could ask God personally to forgive them. Because Jesus had died for them. It goes on, it says, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. He's explaining that we are to be thankful. Without Jesus, we don't have hope. Sadness overwhelms a Christmas holiday season to some people. Some people, it's the most joyous occasion in the world. My daughters, Christmas morning, I don't know what time you were woken up, but it was, we got to go downstairs and see everything for Christmas morning. And all I wanted to do was hit the snooze button. I'm like, really? It's not that high. It's snooze. If we're sad or we're struggling through this life, if we come across hard times, we have to remember that there is hope. This is what Paul is telling these people. It is a giant reminder that we should be joyous and thankful. Now, that's easy to do. Remember, I mentioned that earlier. It's easy to do. You lose your job. Your boss comes in, says you're fired. You say, hey, man, I appreciate the time work for you, and you, and you just walk out. Some chuckle. Somebody's listening. It's not hard. Some of the stuff that we come across in this life is not easy. There's a lot of stuff in this life that I've come across in my personal life that I've seriously backed up and said, God, there's absolutely no way I can go through this. There's no way. I can't do it. And God's reply was, it doesn't matter. You have me. And I can. I've conquered the world. (laughs) It's not a big deal. What's God done for you this year? I sat, I sat uh, a couple nights ago. I was, I was sitting, and I took a picture of an absolutely beautiful sunset. And then I just reminisced about what God had done for me. How he's blessed me this year, how he's, how he's, taught, how he's taught me, how he's allowed me to grow. I thank God for the ability to walk. I thank God for the ability to talk and to sing and to play. See, those things that we just take for granted so much. Paul's giving these people great assurance that when they believe in Jesus and have a relationship with him, it's the real deal. The real deal. If you were a fan of of boxing, you would probably have heard of the real deal Holyfield. Because he's the real deal. He was a champion. He's the man. He he was it. It 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 was correct. But God, when God reassures us that he's the real deal, what he's saying is nothing about boxing. He's saying, I will not go away from you. We sing the song, You Won't Relent, and I, and I cannot, I, I thank you. If, you. if you said something about that song to me this month, it's, it's more than a couple people, thank you. Because the lyrics of that song are incredible. Because in that song it says, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you, and I want to sing right to you. That's where our focus should be. That's where Paul says your focus should be on Christ. He says we have peace. In Christmas, we hear peace on earth, and there's wars everywhere. When, when Miss USA is, is asked her questions, nine times out of ten, she says, world peace. And I'm being stereotypical. It's probably not nine times, nine times out of ten. But you hear peace all the time. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants peace. So when Paul mentions to these people, hey, you can have peace. Let me tell you something. If God is talking to me, and I'm going through some stuff in my life, and he says, Matt, don't you worry about it. He said, I can give you peace beyond anything you can understand. 
You won't comprehend how you get it. You won't be able to explain it. But I promise you something. If, I, if you go through this, I'm trying to teach you something. We learned a long time ago in, in, a, in a youth study that we did that God never wants us to waste a hurt. Why? God doesn't want us to waste a hurt because my wife and I, before we had Emma, we lost a baby. And that's one of the times that I stepped back and I said, God, I can't take her hurt away from her. As a husband, if you're that person, one of the worst things in my life is when my wife hurts and I can't physically take it away. I can't do it. I, can't, I, I, I couldn't do it. So I backed up. I didn't know how to talk to Mary. I didn't know how to talk to God. I was angry at God. And I said, God, I don't have any idea how I'm going to get through this. We tried for a year. We got pregnant. We had a miscarriage. What, am I, what are we going to do? You know what? I had people that came alongside me. And when I would express how I was feeling about what I was feeling, I had people come right up next to me and said, that happened to us. This is how I dealt with it. This is how God helped me get out of this. See, they were providing a hope for me. Paul is giving the hope to these people. When these people had sinned, they can ask God for forgiveness. Let me talk, let me, when things go wrong in my life and I don't do the right thing, and I want to ask God to forgive me, I love the fact and have the hope in the fact that he forgives me then. Now, people are like that, right? Say something happened between you and a buddy, you and a friend, and it was something that caused pain. And you go up to them and say, I'm really sorry. It just goes away. Your mind is more complex than any computer we have on the planet. You can recall negative things like that. If I gave you a sheet of paper and had you list how your year was, it is far more easy to write down the negatives than it is the positives. Because we remember it. We don't remember that we got to wake up every day and we got to walk to our car and our car started and we went to work. It was a train that stopped us. It was, it was the stoplights. There's no trains in Mount Vernon. So <laughs> I live on the east side of town. I know him by name. Hey, there's Bob. He'll be back about 3.15. <laughs> but people don't forgive really quick. When you call somebody a name or talk about them behind their back and they find out. They give you gifts. No. Your relationship goes back to normal really fast. But God. We're going to read that later. But God. He sets himself apart even in scripture. But God. That's to remind me that God is who he is, and I'm not him. God is different than me. God is, God is bigger than me. God can take those. He can take your sin he, and wash you white as what? Now, two weeks ago, nobody liked the snow. And some of you people that like the summer, yesterday's over. No more 52. Let's go back down. I don't need any more allergy stuff. He goes on in verse 2. It says this. 
Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Christ has brought us to a place we do not deserve. This is called grace. You get something you do not deserve. We do not deserve to be able to have a personal relationship with God Himself because we have a sin problem. But because God loves us, we sing, oh, how He loves us. That's, I, I've probably played that song a couple thousand times, and it just moves me when I play it. I love that song because Matt Griswold needs a reminder of how God loves him. And even if Matt messes up and he falls down, I can look up and say, I have a God that loves me. Even when my friend is not there, even when my family is not there, I have a God that will not relent on me. He won't quit. And I don't know about you, but that's a big deal to me. Because people in this world will let you down. God cannot be around sin or have anything to do with it. Sin causes the separation. So he said, okay, I have a separation. So how much does he love us? He sent his only son. And you may have heard this a hundred thousand times. But think about this. His son, blameless, sinless, and perfect, sent to this earth. And he was nailed on a tree. And he had things put on him. The whole sin of the entire world ever had happened and will happen. Jesus did it one time. He's not going to do it again because once was enough. But Jesus hung on the cross and God to pour out the wrath of sin on his own son. And when you and I unlock that closet door inside and realize and understand just what we personally have put on Jesus, and I can have a relationship with God even after that has already happened, I just want to jump around. I'm, I, that just blow, that blows my mind. Have you ever been given something that you do not deserve? I asked this question to high school students. You ready for this? Have you ever been given something you do not deserve? Money? One of my, one of my students hasn't had the best hand of, of life cards handed to them, and they haven't had the best everything in the world. And they said, man, I really don't deserve to be alive. And I said, oh, oh but I, have a, I know a God that, yeah, yeah, you need to be here. But they were so down. They didn't feel like they deserved life. Somebody didn't deserve money. Somebody didn't, in, in, uh, didn't deserve an inheritance that they got. I'm talking to the high schoolers. Getting inheritances. I didn't know it existed. <laughs> but they said, I don't deserve this money. I didn't do anything for it. Ask another student, and they said this. You remember that time where I really messed up in your class? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And you wrote me up, and I had to go to the principal's office? Yeah. But the next day I came in class, and it was like the first day that I came into your class, I didn't deserve a second chance because I really messed up. And this is not the, hey, Matt's great show. It's, we get, we've been given things we don't deserve all the time. One of the kids said, a car. My grandparents bought me a truck. I don't deserve it. I had a second chance in a relationship. 
when they asked me, they, I had one student said, well, what, what, what don't you deserve? Her. You ask any of my volleyball team that I coach, every time I see them and they ask me about my wife, I said, I married up so big. So big. We don't deserve the countless chances we get with God. It should be one strike and you're out. Because the sin would have separated us. All we want to do is pay attention to the negative. I told you, we allow the negative to bring us down and we allow the negative to have a hold on us. And you know exactly where that is? You know, you know where that puts us? When we allow the negativity to take over? You know, where, you know where that takes us? Exactly to where Satan wants us to be. Because it goes back to the guy that, used to be, that was in his house with the fire. Satan wants us to be alone. He doesn't want to feel like, there, feel like there's any hope at all. That you shouldn't have the... You can't have the faith that something good is going to happen. He just wants us. No, no, no. There's no hope. When we allow Satan, I'm sorry, when we allow the negative to have a hold on us, we're not doing what God wants us to do. If you have a green worship flow, your worship handout, in the middle there's some blanks to fill out. I want you to fill these out. We need to be a joyous people. Now, this is different. It's blank on the screen. Because I don't know your answer. God, I ask you to work on blank in my life. If you don't don't have time to think about that right now, don't fill it out right now. When this thing comes up, help me through it. We all have that. I have multiple blanks. I ask you to work on this. I ask you to work on this. But to be a joyous people. I've heard more than one time. Matt, how much coffee do you drink before you lead worship? I don't know. A couple gallons, but <laughs> I'm kidding. But when, we, when I got to play while I go in and enjoy Jack leading us and Christina and the singers in the band and they, and they led us in worship and I just got, I got to play. Joy comes in. I did, mine's music, okay? Music, being outside, listen to my little girls laugh holding hands and walking with my wife. That makes me happy. Because when I'm holding hands with my wife, they're like, man, he married up. And I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> but I want you to fill this blank out on your own. We need to be a joyous people. When we deal with the negative, it gets us down in our hole. That's where Satan he wants us to be, pounded with negativity and have no hope or outlook for anything that could good, good and happen in life. But it says, God, I ask you to work on blank in my, wife, in my life. Maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe you struggle and you are addicted. Maybe you have something in your life that you need God to take care of. He goes on in verse 3. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us de- develop endurance. <sighs> Remember earlier when I said Paul's going to write things that are hard for us to do? Now, take that hard thing, whatever happens in your life that you have trouble with, and now uh, you can go ahead and be happy when we run into it. I know how this goes in your life. Anybody gotten, gotten ice out of those, out of the big 16-pound bag, the thing by the car wash and buy hucks? You put two bucks in and it shoots out a 16-pound bag of ice. It's really cool. It's worth the $2 for me just to play. It's really neat. 
But I walked up there the other, it was for Mary's birthday, the first part of this month, and I walked up there, and there was a guy that, he's doing, he's doing this. I go, something wrong? He go, I said, do you need help? i give you a couple dollars if you need some ice. He goes, he goes, no, I put my money in and I ate it. I didn't get any ice. Well, the change light was flashing. That needed exact change. Didn't have any more change. So I put my dollars in, and I bought him a bag, and he paid me back. He insisted. And then I bought another bag for myself. He had a small problem. He evidently needed ice for something, and his mach- the machine ate it. Now, I don't work for those people that own the machine. Okay, I'm not saying that they're bad machines because it's never eaten my money. But he had a problem. I told him the change light was on. We helped him. Okay, he got it. Good. I told him to have a good night, and he replied this. He says, I appreciate you coming by. I really needed that ice. It was frozen water. If you have a freezer at home, you can make your own. Okay, this is what I'm talking about. He had a small problem. But see, if Mary and I have 10 people over our house, we don't have enough capacity of ice in the freezer to keep everybody in stock with ice. If you, if you drink the drinks like my dad, he gets a, a quart glass and he has like ice over the top of it. Okay, he, he needs ice. And this guy needed ice for something. And I'm like, man, it's really not a big deal. And then I thought about it. It was something that he needed and he couldn't get. He was running out of hope. He couldn't find any more money. How do we react to these problems? When you get a flat tire, you instantly pull over to the side of the road, you jump out of your car and scream to the top of your lungs, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> when, you, when you have a fight with your mate, you rejoice. When you get stuck by a train, man, crank that. Crank the praise and worship music and just worship God while you wait on a train. That's not what we automatically think to. We have a flat tire, we get on the side of the road. Number one, who's going to help me? Who's going to help me fix it? I'm going to be late. I have dress clothes on. I can't change tire and dress clothes. I, Mary and I were coming home from Missouri. We pulled off to the side of the road. We pulled on an exit to, we we're, we're going to meet uh, a friend of mine there. We we're going to meet him at this little gas station. We pulled off to the exit ramp. And there was a, like some kind of Subaru all-wheel drive vehicle on the side and had New Mexico plates on it. I'm like, well, hey, let's pull over. We know where a lot of things are over here. I said, they may need help. I go back to it. Very strong accent. They, li- they lived in New Mexico for about 20 years. Before that, they lived in South Africa. So a very, 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 very cool encounter uh, with some people that, and they said, we have been sitting here. This is right off of Interstate 70 on Christmas. There's about 8 billion people driving on 70 at Christmas time. We pulled off of the side of the road, and I went back and talked to them. He goes, you're the first person in five hours to stop. And I'm not going to say I exactly know their age, but these, are, these people are in their, in their 60s. Pretty easy. Five hours. They said, we called AAA, and we have been sitting here for five hours. And they said, we finally got a tow truck coming from another town, and they said they'd be here within an hour. Thank you so much for stopping. Before I left, he said, God bless you. It didn't seem that anybody cared. 
now. Again, it took about four seconds out of our way. We were going to get off that exit anyway. I just saw how they were doing. You need anything? You need a drink? No, we're good. But our car won't start. When we go through these small trials, God is getting ready, ready for us to face something a little bit bigger. You've heard me say before, this is, I think this is really cool. It's an analogy that I get because I'm an outdoors guy. I like to fish. I like to hunt. But Christians, believers, followers of Jesus should be like catfish. You've heard me say this before. It's exactly true. A catfish quits growing when, when you baptize them in Greece. There's no decline in a catfish's weight unless the food in the pond runs out. They grow until they die. Christians should go out of life, not just going downhill, I'm going to just wait till God takes me home. Christians in life should accelerate out of this one into the next one. This is going to be... Huh. In verse 4, he goes on, And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Suffering has value. And we don't see that while it's going on. Suffering has value. Simply put, if you can persevere through the trials, it will grow you. How many people like baseball and are ready for spring training? Three people. Yeah, baseball. Yeah, baseball. St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, okay. Or Cubs, it, mostly Cardinals. So um, I, played, I had the opportunity to play baseball in college. Opportunity. Now here's the deal. I moved out of, out of high school to in college. If you play college sports, you know college sports. It is no longer a game. It is more like a job. And that coach's job depends on his team or her team winning. Okay, which makes the school more enticing to athletes to come in. It means more money. It means more revenue. Okay. ESPN all the time, there's coaches that are getting fired because they can't win with the team that they have. Now, I'll take you back to 1998 in the fall. I was a senior in high school. I just graduated. I was a freshman in college, 1998 in the fall. Okay? Freshman in college. I was on my third practice of the day because I would do defense, then I would catch bullpens, and then I would go hit. I was hitting. Okay? I hit left-handed. I don't do anything else except play golf left-handed, but I hit left-handed for some reason. But I hit with a closed stance, and a closed stance means that I was looking at the pitcher, but my leg, my front leg was in front of, in the batter's box, it was in front of the other one. Now, if you threw me an inside pitch, smoked it. But I could hit the ball the opposite way, okay. Now, we play a fall ball season. It doesn't really count, but we keep stats, because we keep stats... And then the coach would make the varsity lineup and who would travel and who would not. Please don't hear this as an arrogant Matt thing, okay? I was a freshman in college, and through 20 games, I was hitting 451. Okay? I was seeing the ball pretty good. I could hit the ball. We get a brand new hitting coach who comes in the door. And he goes, We might need to move your stance a little bit. You guys, have, you guys have jobs, okay? You guys have jobs. And those jobs, some of you, you've had for 20, 30 years, and you're really good at it, okay? There's no way on earth I could run a backhoe like Bob Gentry. That's just awesome to watch. But he's the master at that, 
that he's good at what he did. And this coach comes in, and I'm doing well. And he goes, we're going to need to, we're going to, need to tweak it a little bit. You know, have you ever heard of, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It was working. But he said, but, I, but listen, 1998, there's a reason that I said that, because that was the beginning of my rebellious period in life. And nobody could tell me any different. Because in my mind in 1998, in the fall, I had gotten to college on my own. I had worked so hard, God gave me some ability to play ball, but it was about me. I was going to get drafted and make a whole lot of money. I was going to tra- play wherever I, I wanted. Okay, I was going to go to the major leagues, and it was going to be over. I was going to be rich. I was going to have all this. And I have a guy coming in and telling me, hey, you're going to need to change that. What if I walked up to Bob Gentry and said, you know, you could probably do that better if you did this. I don't know how to start it. I could maybe get it started. But he came up to me, and, and I was in such a, an arrogant rut in my life. And I'm not okay proud of this. And in my mind, I said this. Who do you think you are? We have to be careful. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Very, and I, I, I insist on this word, very, very reluctantly, I let the coach change my stance to this, to this. And I said more upright, and I hit with an open stance. He threw me an inside pitch, hammered him. He threw me an outside pitch, and I've never hit a ball harder than that in my life that way. But isn't that how we act? God's word tells us to maybe we need to do something a little bit different, and we're just put out. <sighs> Whatever. I've been doing it for a long time. It's, it's done everything I needed to do so far. Maybe God's using that moment to teach us. Because of that one little tweak on my stance, I became a better player. I became a better hitter. But what that did is it taught me a lesson. There's always going to be somebody out there that can help you. You, Matt, are not it. But when we go through these small things in our life and we think there's no hope, God is that person that won't give up. He said we can have confidence in the hope of our salvation. Why is he telling people to have confidence in the hope? If you study the Bible and you study when the New Testament was written and you you study the amount of the number of copies of the New Testament that we have compared to any other writing in antiquity, it is absolutely crazy one-sided. Crazy. Multiple, multiple, multiple times more copies of the Bible than other writings. They, they know what went on. Romans 5, 5. The next verse says this. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Within the last 24 hours, I would venture to say that the majority in this room have felt some kind of disappointment. That's pretty safe with a crowd this big. 
we've experienced some type of disappointment. A train caught you. You just washed your car and it rained. You didn't get exactly what you wanted to eat at a restaurant, or they, they, they didn't prepare it right. But God doesn't disappoint us. God's always there. Now, here's the, here's the interesting part. God is always there. It is us that may not get the answer that we want. Remember, we have to back up. We're dealing with the, the people that are hard to deal with. He goes on and says, For we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. How do we know how God loves us? You are the only thing. You are, you, your species, this species we call humans, is the only thing that was created to have a personal relationship with God. A couple, a couple times ago when I preached, I, I used the term special. Humans are special. Humans are special because God himself, you can read this in Genesis, God spoke things into existence. If there's a gigantic Netflix in heaven, I want to rewind when I get there and I want to watch God create earth. He spoke. But not humans. Not humans. It said he formed us with his own hands and he breathed life into us because he loves us. He created us to have a relationship with Him. Hmm. Verse 6, when we were utterly hopeless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. You remember when somebody came along at just the right time? Do you remember when you were absolutely down or you were stuck at the ice machine and it ate your money? And somebody came along at just the right time. Or maybe you, 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 you struck up a friendship that you absolutely needed right then. You know, Mary and I became friends with a lady about, we met her a couple months before we had our miscarriage. And you know what? The first thing she did to us, she came up to us and she said, I've been there. I had a miscarriage and I understand how you feel. We needed just the right time and those people came up. I've called members of this band and members of this church, and I said, you know what, I need, I need you to pray for me right now. You know what happens? They do it. Just the right time. Paul's reiterating that Jesus had died for their sins. And he says this, he said, hey, now is the right time. You can believe. Look at your worship handout again. Green piece of paper. It says, when life comes at us, God desires for us to trust him. We have a hope that he will never leave us. There's one word in there, different, that only God can hold. Never. He hasn't ever left you. We can think that he's not there. We can do things to rebel against him and say, oh, he's not there. God wouldn't allow this to happen. God would have never allowed us to lose a baby. God would never allow us to lose my job. 
God would never allow these bad things to happen to me because I'm a good person. You're broken and you need Jesus. That's how we become, when, when God looks at us and we have a relationship with Christ, that's how he sees that we're good. Because you have Jesus. He's the one that's good. But he will never leave us. You will have friends. I, I have one person's phone number in the entire class that I graduated high school with. And I graduated high school only 15 years ago. One. We got so, our, me and my friends, I, I moved and But I had God as a friend in high school, and I still have God as an ally now. He never left me. He's never left you. He goes on in verse 7. It says, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. You and I would have a hard time dying for somebody that was not in our family. If somebody was outside that circle of your family, you would have a very tough time. Some of us would have a very tough time Dying for that person. But we even have a harder time dying for somebody that we did not like. Or we did not get along with. Or for somebody that has hurt us. Can you imagine that? Somebody that's hurt you. Okay? In this life, somebody that has hurt you, dying for them. So they can live and you don't. He goes on. It says, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Paul states this. He said, now talking about a family or somebody that's good, states that some people might die for someone who is good. You and I could fathom dying sacrificially for somebody in my family. Hey, if it came down to the wire and I needed to do something that would affect my life and one of my kids or my wife could live, okay, I could see myself doing that. We could sacrifice everything for a member of our own family. Give them the clothes off our back, give them money in our wallet, everything we can. Verse 8 says, but God. <laughs> oh. Paul's showing us that God is not us. He's different. One of my favorite verses of Scripture showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for In God's amazing, unthinkable love, not only did he give us an opportunity to have a relationship with him, but God gave us his son. Not only do we get to have a relationship with God, we can have the hope that we don't have to die and experience hell. We can experience the glory and the absolute incredibility of heaven because God loved us so much. Man, if I think back about myself, sometimes I'm not very lovable. God's perfect son was killed, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was belittled, he was made fun of. How amazing is our God's love? How unbelievable special is it? God desires to give you hope. Hope is a big word, especially when you don't think there isn't any. Talked to a person within the last week 
They said, Matt, I just don't know if there's any hope at all. I wrote this sermon a month ago. I don't know if there's any hope. I just don't see any way out. And they asked me to pray for them, and I did. And a couple days ago, I got a phone call. And they said, God has provided a way out of that situation. He's taking care of me. It goes on in verse 9, it says this, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Paul is reiterating that there's a new way to believe. We have been made right, or to be made innocent, which is the Greek, dikaio again, okay? In God's eyes, if we have chosen to become a follower of Jesus, we've been made right. And no matter what you may read or see on a movie, hell was not designed for a single one of us. It wasn't. But sin entered the picture, and there had to be a payment of blood, so, Je- so Jesus was sent to die for us so we can have the hope. It goes on in verse 10. It says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, God gave us the opportunity to become one of his followers through the death of his perfect son. When we were unlovable, when we could look inside that closet door and pull out the things that we did that were negative in this life, and Jesus died for him. It goes on, it says, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he conquered death. The song on the radio, My God's Not Dead, He's not. (laughs) He conquered it. So we can have hope. Verse 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ had made us friends with God. We listened to the I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Before, Before the band came up, we listened to the song, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Some of our friends will leave us. Some of our friends will betray or hurt us. Look on your worship handout. If you've been a part of Connection or been here, sometime in the last year we've done this song, Your Love Never Fails, excuse me, never gives up and it never runs out on me. Now, I know, I know that all of you don't have friends like me that will let you down. And you've never experienced some of the stuff that I've experienced. But if we want to get honest, we, all, we can all get in that little pool together because we've all experienced the heartache, the heartbreak, the shame, the guilt. I had an aunt. She's passed away now. And my dad went to visit her in the hospital. She, and she, in her mind, and in the, in the world's view of her, she had messed up. Okay, she did something that, that God said that we shouldn't do. She had two kids outside of marriage. She was never married. She had two kids. We accepted her. We loved her. She was my aunt. And she was in the hospital for about a week before she passed away. And my dad went to visit her. 
And dad was, was asking her, he said, you know, do you have a relationship with God? Like, do you, and before he could go any farther, she said, the God that you're talking about would never want anything to do with me because of what I've done. If you're saying that this morning, will you please stop believing that lie? She told my dad, she said, there's no way that God can forgive me because of what I've done. There's a video that we would like to play here at Connection because it just shows how different we're trying to be. But there's a, there's a guy on there, and I believe he's a retired pilot. I think that's what it says in his name. And uh, he answers a question. And before he answers that question, the girl states this. She says, if you knew me and half the things I've done, you'd never want me in church. And it flashes to the guy that is a member of that church, and he said, if you know me and half the things that I've done, you wouldn't be worried. That's what connection is. Connection is a place where, yes, we have a past. It's not where we're going to deal with things. We understand that there is a purpose for everyone, for everything, that there is a hope. But some of us, seriously, when we walk out this door and we go through our job, we just have our head down all day and we have, we have no hope because we've let Satan come in and tell us lies and we're believing that there's nothing good that's ever going to happen. And this morning, I want you to tell, tell you that God's love never fails and never gives up and it's never run out on you. If your parents ran out on you, God didn't. If your friends ran out on you, he didn't. If you have an ex-mate whose love ran out on you, God's didn't. It didn't go away. Many of us in here have become followers of Christ. We understand what it's like to have a personal relationship with Christ, but somebody in here this morning may not. So in a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer. And these are not magic words. Similar to what I prayed as a younger guy, that I wanted to have a relationship with God. So if this morning you think, man, you know what? I don't have that hope. I don't, have, I don't know what it's to be a follower of Jesus. You repeat this after me in your, in your, in your head, not out loud. And you can experience the love and the hope that God has for us. And does it mean your days are perfect? Absolutely not. It means things are going to get easier. You get a better job. I, no. But you have hope. Because when the bad things happen, I know God's there. So bow with me if you would. If you're out there this morning and you think that, hey, I want to I wanna become a follower of Christ. Again, this isn't anything that I'm going to say that's going to save you. It's at your heart. You just say, dear God, I know that your son died for my sins. And he raised from the dead. And I ask you to come into my life right now. I ask you to change me. Change the way that I think and the way that I act. The way that I live. So that it be a way that honors you. 
I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And God, I ask to have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, inside your worship handout, right inside the front cover, you just check that right there. And as you leave, just drop it in in the offering box back there. Thank you for coming to Connection today. It was a great day. It's got, cold, it's got colder outside, so put your coat on. When you go outside, the wind's going to blow today. Have a great time today. Share the love. Yeah. Mm-hmm.